one small comment about Sanskrit and especially these verses, Bhagavad Gita and Sastika, the chanting. All the transcend, all this sound vibration is is transcendental, sabda brahma, meaning it's descending from above uh, this plane of existence. This chanting and these mantras and this sound vibration is completely purified for the heart and the soul. It has no reaction on this plane. There's no no give and take on this uh, on this plane for for Sabda Brahma, transcendental vibration. And even if it's not chanted perfectly, it still has a, a purifying effect. So uh, don't be reluctant to chant. Uh, do the best you can. And, uh, in due course, uh, you may or may, may not improve, but it really <laughs> is so transcendentally potent that uh, it still has an effect on our heart purifies our existence. Tonight we're going to complete the 14th chapter of Bhagavad Gita. This chapter of Bhagavad Gita is titled The Three Modes of Material Nature. In this concluding few verses that we'll review tonight, uh, the Supreme Lord sums up what he's presented previously in this chapter. Uh, This particular chapter of Bhagavad Gita, 14th chapter, The Three Modes of Material Nature, in the beginning of the chapter, Krishna just continued his dialogue. He wasn't prompted by uh, an inquiry from Arjuna as he is at the beginning of most chapters. The beginning of the chapter, if you remember, uh, Krishna said, the Supreme Personality of God had said, uh, Again, I shall declare to you this supreme wisdom, the best of all knowledge, knowing which all the sages have attained the supreme perfection." So this knowledge is very beneficial for us because it gives us a perspective as to how the Lord's material energy influences our existence while we're in the material world. That understanding, that knowledge of the living entity and the Lord's material energy provides us with defense against entrapment in his external potency is illusory energy. One may ask, well, why would the Supreme Lord want to put any of his parts and parcels, if he's all loving, all caring, all kindness, all merciful, why would he, why would he give, an, why would there be an arrangement whereby we could become illusioned? We're his We're all his sons and daughters, are we not? So why would there be facility for one to to be within this material entanglement? Why Why is there within this material atmosphere, this environment of material existence, why does the living entity suffer? Why is there... Uh, the law of karma, where there's enjoyment or suffering according to our activities. Why are we subjected to birth, to death, to old age, to disease? And it's explained that our true constitutional position, of course, is above the influence of these modes of nature. But we have independence. Of course, the Lord is infinite. He has unlimited Uh, infinite independence, and ourselves being a tiny particle of his existence, we have our limited independence. And we can choose either to have a, a loving relationship in service to the Supreme, or we can, we may have a desire independent of that. It's to be understood that the living entities the vast majority of living entities within the material world are here because of a desire for independent enjoyment. They service, selfless service to the Supreme has somehow or other slipped from our grasp somewhere along the way. And because of that, we have desired to enjoy independent of our true spiritual position. Therefore, the Lord, out of his kindness, says, well, let me give you all facility to 
to realize that aspiration. Of course, it's not reality. It's not your true self. Therefore, what I can allow you to experience is simply a reflection of the true reality of your spiritual existence. That is understood to be the Lord's external potency. And currently we are under the influence of that external potency. The teachings of Bhagavad Gita, the teachings of the Vedas, are there to allow us to see the reality of this existence, the truth of our spiritual existence, and with that knowledge, we can either continue to stay in this realm, or hopefully the knowledge alone is enough to free ourselves from the miseries of material existence. We're not going to dwell a lot on the miseries of material existence tonight. Uh, we've dwelt on those a lot in our classes, and we'll touch on them again. But in this con these concluding verses of this chapter, Krishna is going to, to wrap everything up. So I, would, I thought that tonight we could chant a very, very popular verse together, and then we'll have a discourse, a little discussion of the uh, concluding verses. So tonight we're going to start... We're going to, we are going to cover verses 21 through 27. So 21 starts on page 702. Uh, before we begin that uh, discussion, we're going to chant the verse on page 1426. Now, this is a very uh, popular verse. Where, uh, we chant it and, uh, and become familiar with it. You'll see, uh, see its significance. Mamchayo Byabi Charena, Bhakti Yogena Savati, Sagunan Samitityaitan, Ramavuyaya Kalpate. One who engages in full devotional service, unfailing in all circumstances, at once transcends the modes of material nature, and thus comes to the level of Brahman. Umajana Trimanandasya, Janajana Salakaya, Chakshur Unmilitanyena. Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. We're going to discuss these verses in order. Uh, there's a lot to be said about the verse we just chanted, uh, specifically when it comes to an understanding of uh, Brahman realization and the true understanding, the proper conception of the position of the spirit soul. But we're going to jump back to verse 21. Uh, the ending of this chapter, and the end of this chapter, begins, the summation begins by Arjuna's inquiring. Arjuna inquired, My dear Lord, by which sentence is one known who is transcendental to these three modes? What is his behavior, and how does he transcend the modes of nature? Arjuna's presenting three questions to the Supreme Lord, because the Lord has just spoken about rising above the influence of his material energy, which is characterized by these three modes, goodness, passion, ignorance. So Arjuna wants to know, how would I recognize that my, I myself have gained Release from the influence of your material energy. How would I be able to recognize such release in others? And the third question, how does one actually do it? Krishna begins, his, he makes his responses. So and he responds as follows. The Supreme Personality of God had said, O son of Pandu, he who does not hate illumination, attachment, and delusion when they are present or long for them when they disappear, who is unwavering and undisturbed through all these reactions of the material qualities remaining neutral and transcendental, knowing that the modes alone are active, 
who is situated in the self and regards alike happiness and distress, who looks upon a lump of earth, a stone, a piece of gold with an equal eye, who is equal toward the desirable and the undesirable, who is steady, situated equally well in praise and blame, honor and dishonor, who treats alike both friend and enemy, and who has renounced all material activities, such a person is said to have transcended the modes of material nature. Text 21, three questions. What are the symptoms and characteristics of one who has transcended the modes of material nature? So the first part of the question, the symptoms and characteristics, is refers to an internal understanding whereby one could recognize that he is released from the modes of material nature. So the first the verse that responds to that, of course, is the is the twenty second verse. So twenty second verse, Sri Bhagavad Ubacha, Uvacha, Prakasam Cha Privritim Cha, Moham Evacha Pandava. Now if we remember back in the chapter, Krishna explained the characteristics of the mode of goodness. And those characteristics, the, the predominant characteristic of the mode of goodness is all of the senses, all the senses become illumined. In the mode of goodness, all the senses lead to knowledge. In the mode of passion, so the next set, so that's prakasam. Prakasa, illumination. So Krishna is talking about the mode of goodness. Pravritrimcha. Then he's talking about attachment. Moham evacha. Moham. Illusion. So these three words at the beginning of this verse sum up everything Krishna has said earlier in this chapter regarding so that we can understand He's referring to the modes of material nature. The mode of material nature, goodness, which illuminates the senses, the hearing, the seeing, the smelling, the tasting, the touching. All the senses become illumined when one is in the mode of goodness. They all lead to upliftment. That's the mode of goodness. The mode of passion the mode of passion is the passion, a passion of acquisition. We want to enjoy the fruits of our labor. Moha, illusion. Ignorance, the mode of ignorance. What's the mode of ignorance lead to? Nothing. <laughs> it's the opposite of knowledge. It's the opposite of goodness. In knowledge, everything's, everything is, is beneficial to our being. In ignorance... Everything is detrimental to our being. There's no moving up in the mode of ignorance. What's the characteristic? Sleep, inactivity, intoxication. It's just, it's the opposite of goodness. In verse 22, Krishna is saying, when you see that you are not attached to any of this, illumination, acquisition, and ignorance, when you see that you, these three modes, goodness and passion and ignorance, when they influence you, you can remain neutral. You do not become despondent when the modes of material nature attack. That includes the mode of goodness, too. Krishna's talking mode of goodness, mode of passion, and mode of ignorance. All these are material. These are material influences. Now, of course, in the mode of goodness, that can lead to some spiritual benefit for us. But here, Krishna is talking about someone who's on the transcendental platform fully above the influence of his external energy. So, that platform, you can understand your characteristics when the modes of material nature 
when you're in, experiencing them, even in this environment, goodness, passion, or ignorance, you are not becoming de, you are not becoming dejected. You're not becoming morose because I'm being influenced. All of a sudden, my meditation is being broken because I'm feeling tired, or I'm feeling passionate, or I'm feeling some some joy. Not transcendental joy. I'm talking material joy. Okay? When we see that we are not, that we're above being affected in some way by these modes, when we can experience that, then, then we know we're making true spirit. We're on the transcendental platform. And also, when we be, do not become joyful when the modes are not influencing us. We have to be equally posed when everything's going on our, our way and when everything's going against us. Equal posed. When, we, when our existence is on that platform, on that spiritual platform, then we can understand we're making some progress spiritually. This is internal. I'm not going to be able to look at you and you're not going to be able to look at me and tell if I'm on the transcendental platform. You're not going to be able to perceive it and I'm not going to be able to perceive it in you. So the answer to the first question, because when you look at the questions, they seem to be redundant, don't they? Arjuna's first two questions, they seem to be the same. But there is a subtle distinction there. So Arjuna's questions. Let's go back. Let's look. What was it? By which symptoms is one known who is transcendental to these three modes? Then what is his behavior? Well, to me, it's like, well, symptoms, behavior, isn't that the same thing? But no, there is a difference there. And if we were, if we were scholars... And masters of Sanskrit, we could go into an analysis of the Sanskrit terms Krishna is using. And if my good friend and God brother Garuda was here, he would be able to say, no, Krishna, this word here, this lingas, this means this. I'm sorry, I'm not a Sanskrit scholar. <laughs> but be that as it may, Still, we need to understand that the way Arjuna structured his question, he was asking about two different aspects of perception. Internal and then external. So, external, we can all see. Now, what's Krishna say about ex the external characteristics of someone who is above the modes and the influence of his external material potency. One who is unwavering and undisturbed through all these reactions of the material qualities, remaining neutral and transcendental, knowing that the modes alone are active, who is situated in the self and regards alike. Here it goes. Regards alike. We can, we can understand. Happiness and distress who looks upon a lump of earth, a stone, and a piece of gold with an equal eye, who is equal toward the desirable and the undesirable, who is steady, situated equally, well in praise and blame, honor and dishonor, and who treats alike both friend and enemy, and who is renounced, who has renounced all material activities. Such a person is said to have transcended the modes of nature. So characteristics are now being given that can be externally perceived. We can see these characteristics in a person and understand he has risen above the modes of material nature. There'll be some further qualification of that before we end this evening's class. But equal. He's... he's Happy as your distress comes, he's steady as a rock. Doesn't affect him. He, he, he's, you know, he's on a transcendental. Now Arjuna, the whole, the whole battlefield of, of Kurukshetra, it's, 
what's what's Arjuna's position? Arjuna, we know, is is a devotee of the Lord. He is on the transcendental platform. But for our benefit, he he becomes bewildered by Krishna's potency. He's, he's he appears to be affected, so he's not steady. He becomes distressed. I don't want to engage in this battle. I don't want to attack my 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 teachers and my family members. I have no desire to enjoy a kingdom if it comes at the expense of this war. So he's detached on one level. He's detached from the worldly. He's seeing equally the gold and the dirt. He doesn't care. In fact, he said at the beginning, I'm willing to renounce and go out to the woods. Let me just give it all up. I'll live in the woods as a mendicant. And Krishna says, yeah, that's what you think, but that's not your nature. Your nature is not a mendicant. You can't just walk away from your nature. We can't falsely give up what is our situation in the material environment. We have a body. This body comes with desires. All the bodies are different. It's just, you know, it has a certain characteristic. We're caught in the material energy from our prior activities. We've attained a body. The body has certain, a certain influence. What do they say? The influence of the stars. People have their charts done to see, well, how's the stars going to influence? Well, that's there. Uh, it's not perfectly done in this age. There's a lot of, uh, you know, charlatans out there that will tell you one thing, and then the next month, all of a sudden, you lose all your wealth. And you say, wait, you said I was going to win the lottery. But anyway, that's another thing. There is an expert science there. It's unfortunate that it's not available to us now. So externally, we can see what are the characteristics of someone who is above the modes of material nature. In spe specifically, when it comes to the practice of devotional service, of developing one's heart in yoga. This is bhakti yoga. This is a different kind of yoga. This is a yoga where we want to develop our heart. We want to, we want to, we want to let our soul flower in spiritual relationship with the Supreme. In the practice of Bhakti Yoga, there are additional characteristics that are given of someone who is fully qualified to assist us, who's, a, who's risen above the influence of the modes of the material nature. Avacha Vegam Manasakrodo Vegam, Diva Vegam, Udara Pasto Vegam, Etan Vegam Yogisaheta Dira Sarvam. Apimam Pritivim Sishat. One who control the urge to speak, the mind's demands, the actions of anger, and the urges of the tongue, the belly, and the genital. One who controls, who has these six characteristics, he is sufficient to accept disciples all over the world. He's sufficient to lead us in spiritual life. So that's, that's how we can judge also a bona fide devotee who we can take instruction from. The toes, the urge to speak, the mind's demands, the actions of anger. He is not influenced by the material body. He's really above the influence of the modes entirely. So the third question, how can I get there? How can I get to a situation where the modes of material nature are not affecting me? One who engages in full devotional service who does not fall down in any circumstance but once transcends the modes of material nature and then thus comes to the level of Brahman. Well, that's our task then. If we want to have that characteristics of those characteristics of equanimity, if we want to know inside that we're we're there, 
where whether there's happiness, whether there's passion, or whether there's ignorance, they're not really influencing us because our mind is fixed. So how do I fix my mind? Full devotional service. I don't spend any time trying to satisfy the senses and the body in an extraneous way. My focus is on bhakti yogena, bhakti yoga. My focus is on enlightenment, acting on the transcendental platform, acting on the spiritual platform. Sagunan samitityaitan. The modes of material nature will not affect me. I'm above, sagunan, above the influence of the modes of material nature. This is not an abstract concept. It's important for us to understand that. This is not about something that is beyond our reach. This is not just for the yogi in the Himalayas. Arjuna was not a yogi. He wasn't. He was a fighter. He was in the world. He was working in the world. His activity was in the world. This bhakti yogena, sevati, this is available to us here and now. We don't have to run off to some ashram. We don't have to go to it. We don't have to change the environment. We have to change the way we deal with the environment. How do we do that? Full devotional service. Full devotional service? What? You just said, how can I do this? How can I control the urge to speak, the mind's demands? How can I control anger when that guy pulls in front of me on the highway. How can I do that? You're saying it's, it's, it's within my grasp? That's something I can reach? The tongue, the belly, the genital? That's dragging me every place. But we can. It's within our reach. It's easily attainable. If you read these verses before this week's class, Specifically, Prabhupada's purport to the last verse. This process of Krishna consciousness, this process of bhakti yogena, bhakti yoga, is attainable for us. We simply have to work under the directions of those who are acquainted with Krishna. We have to work under the proper conception of what is of value in our life, in our existence. And if we can work under that good direction, we can have bhakti yoga here and now. Now if you read the purports, Prabhupada stressed that this process is easy to attain. It's nothing that's foreign to us. Lord Chaitanya, who inaugurated this current movement of bhakti yogena, Krishna consciousness, 500 years ago. He gave us one verse. And in that verse, it speaks to the fact that nitya siddha krishna prema. Nitya siddha. Nitya. Anybody know what nitya means? Eternal. Eternal. Nitya siddha. What's a siddha? Perfection. A perfection. The yogis get, they go after eight, don't they? Eight different perfections. Eternal perfection. Nitya Siddha. Krishna, well, Krishna is the name of God. God has unlimited names, but one of his names, and one of his most intimate names, and that name of his, which means all attractive, which is that name that says, if there is a God, this feature, his personal features, his personal characteristics, they attract everyone. Nitya Siddha Krishna Prema. Prema. Anyone? Love. Nitya Siddha Krishna Prema. The eternal perfection of every living entity 
is Krishna Prema. That's our city. So it's not foreign to us. Lord Chaitanya has given us Nichasiddha, every living entity, Nichasiddha Krishna Prema, Sajakabunaya, Shravanade Suti Chiti, Kareya Udaya. Simply by this chanting, that can purify the heart. Shravana, Shravanam Kirtanam Vishnu, Smaranam Padasevanam. Shravanam, hearing, kirtanam, repeating, chanting. Just like we have kirtan, shravanam kirtan. Both things are there in that, simple. All we have to do is take advantage, shravanam kirtanam. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I'm hearing and I'm chanting. Wow, just by that, Nichasiddha Krishna Prema. I'm understanding. The dirt can fall away. We can taste our true spiritual nature. Arjuna's three questions. What are the internal characteristics? How can I observe externally if somebody is in above the modes of material nature? And how can I get there myself? Sagudan, Samiti. How can I rise to the level of Brahman? A little bit of discussion about the level of Brahman. Let's tackle this because they all talk of Brahman. So many people. Ah, Brahman. Brahman realization. I'm in Brahman realization. Mm, I'm in oneness. I'm one with Brahman. Yes, you are one with Brahman. We're all one with Brahman. But there's a little bit of a difference. <laughs> there is supreme Brahman, and then there's this little teeny, itsy, bitsy, infinitesimal particle of Brahman. It's still Brahman. The practice of devotional service gives us a complete picture of the spiritual reality of our existence. It's explained in Srimad Bhagavatam. Realization of our spiritual existence is comprehension of the three aspects of the Supreme Brahman. Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavan Iti Sabyate. That supreme truth is realized in three different aspects. Brahmeti, that all pervading energy of the supreme. It's everywhere. There's not anything within existence which is not permeated by the energy of the Supreme, including our very self. Every particle of material existence, every particle of spiritual existence, every particle of any existence is the Supreme, the energy of the Supreme. Brahmati Paramatmati. Paramatmeti. That effusion of spiritual energy has consciousness. It has conscious existence. It has consciousness of all existence. Omnipotent, omnipresent. The Supreme is fully consciousness. Parashya Saktir Vividaiva Suyate. All of the Lord's energies. He's fully conscious of all of his manifestation of energies. And his full consciousness of all of his energies is through the agency of Paramatma. Para. The Supreme Atma, 
We've all heard of Atma. You all have some knowledge of yoga. Atma, Atma, I am Atma. Yes, you're Atma. But there's Paramatma, there's the Supreme Atma. Bhagavan Iti Sabjate. Bhagavan. Not only is that a, a, a fusion of spiritual energy that is the Supreme everywhere, not only is it all cognizant, omnipotent, omnipresent, it also is in the ultimate issue a supreme person. We are part of that supreme person. Little teeny itsy bitsy part. But we are the same. Eternal, full of knowledge and bliss. Now, we are wrapped up in an external potency of the Lord's. It's called this material world. There's a whole science of an understanding of this material world. There's a science for understanding the external energy of the Lord, a science for un and understanding our existence within that energy, and of understanding the Supreme Lord Himself. That knowledge is referred to in bhakti yoga and in other yogas as the knowledge of the inner relationship. The knowledge of the inner relationship of things is referred to as sambandha. Sambandha. How do I understand how things are working together? How do I understand how I work in this environment, how the, work, how the environment works on me, how the environment is controlled, when it's created, how long it lasts, how I got here, what's my true purpose, how can I correct the situation, how can I do away with those parts of the environment that are not conducive to my existence. That's what we're talking about here at the end of this chapter. The modes of material nature are not conducive. They're foreign to us. Whether they be goodness, passion, or ignorance, they have nothing to do with our spiritual existence. That knowledge, sambandha, <laughs> is the beginning of an understanding. It begins when the living entity is given the human form of life. In the human form of life, distinct from the plants and animals and birds and beasts, and aquatics, distinct from those, in the human form of life, we have enough intelligence. Atato Brahma Jignasa. Where did I come from? How did I get here? And how can I get out of this place? If we want to get out. Unfortunately, the majority of living entities, as Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita, that even come to the human form of life, they have no interest. How is that verse? What is it? Out of many thousands of men, one may inquire into, spiritual, into their spiritual existence. And of those who inquire, hardly anyone gets to the heart of the matter. They get sidetracked. Ah, my existence is to elevate myself to the spiritual to the heavenly planets where I can enjoy and live a long life. You know, I can, I can raise myself up. I can become a master of, of uh, my environment. I can become a perfect yogi and I can acquire all the cities, become smaller and the smallest and, and bigger and the biggest. I can, I can control what you think. I can make my own planet. These things are available <laughs> in this world. Yes. Don't laugh. You can become a perfect yogi like that. But that has nothing to do with your spiritual existence. It's a mastery over this material environment. It's important that we understand what Brahman is in relationship to the whole of spiritual reality. We have to understand it properly. 
And then we can understand what exactly Krishna is referring to here. Mamchayo vyabhicharena bhaktiyodhina sevati sagunan samikityantan brahma bhuyaya kalpate. We have to understand all three aspects of the supreme absolute truth. And then we come to the conclusion of the chapter. So at the end, Krishna makes it very clear what this Brahman is. Doesn't he? Brahmando hi pratistaham amritas yavyavasyacha. And I am the basis of the impersonal Brahman, which is immortal, imperishable, and eternal, and is the constitutional position of ultimate happiness. I, aham, we've heard that a few times in Bhagavad Gita, aham sarvasya prabhavo, matasarvam pavartate, I'm the source of all spiritual material worlds, everything emanates from me. Again, Krishna is making the point. I am the basis of the impersonal Brahman, which is immortal, imperishable, and eternal, and is the constitutional position of ultimate happiness. Baladev Vidyabhushan's purport to this 27th verse, and Prabhupada also in in his purport, there is some indication as to the characteristic of coming to the platform of Brahman realization, as Krishna is discussing here, and what that really means for the Atma, the individual soul. And Baladev Vidyabhushan, a great commentator in our line of disciplic succession, explains that what are the qualities of Atma? What are our true spiritual qualities? He gives eight qualities. First, he begins by saying the six things that by which one can recognize. He gives the negative first. So the Atma, the pure soul, doesn't engage in sin. It has no sin. Well, I can look around the world and I see there's a lot of sinners out there. How can you say the pure soul has no sin? It's important for us to have a more than the black and white conception that we have in our Western way of thinking to understand the way the Vedas explain these things to us. We have a very linear way of thinking in the Western world. It's either right or wrong, white or black. You know, it can't be both. It can't encompass all. There can't be harmony between both all those all those ingredients, good and bad. When we hear the conception of sin, and we put it in a in a reference of Vedic understanding, the great sages, they accepted sin as being the living entities working according to a misconception. Does that make sense? Not that it's just black or white. It's a misconception. And we can see there are different misconceptions that people work under, which we refer to as sinful misconception. But it's that illusory misconception, that lack of knowledge, which is what we're speaking of. There's the proper conception, and then there's the misconception. And the misconception allows us to work under an illusory viewpoint of reality. Illusory viewpoint. Mm, the whole world is here for my enjoyment. Mm, so much have I acquired today, and tomorrow I'm going to have more. <laughs> I've killed my enemy, and tomorrow I'll kill any other enemies that come. Everything here in this environment is about me. 
I, me, mine. What about everybody else? No, everybody else, they're subordinate. I'm superior. That's a misconception. You're not, you're just one of billions, trillions, quadrillions. Can we count as high? How many living entities are even on, you know, in the, on this planet? How many are even in this room? And we're thinking, oh, everything is about me. Everything is mine. Everything is for my enjoyment. So much do I have today. I've killed my enemy and tomorrow I'll take care of any other enemies. Everyone's here. This is a materialistic misconception. What does a misconception lead to? Well, it leads to all kinds. It leads to murder. leads to slaughter. Well, if everything's here for my pleasure, I can take the life of anybody and, and that's okay. I can kill any living entity to satisfy my palate. I'm the only one that has a soul. They have no soul. All misconceptions. Even in religious, different religions of man, there are misconceptions. You look at the Catholics. They have a misconception that lower living entities have no soul. Therefore, I can, I can, there's no soul there. So if there's a slaughterhouse, I can slaughter them and eat. It's okay. Spiritualists, under such a misconception, my spiritual master was so upset with this misconception. And someday I will show you a video of him speaking to, uh, what is it, a cardinal, a bishop, a cardinal. He's shaking. How you can put yourself forth as a religious man and when you're under <laughs> such illusion. Please. You can't do this is this is the beginning of spiritual life understanding that every living entity is an offspring of the supreme lord and we can't exploit anyone no sin no death soul doesn't experience death in the second chapter krishna made it quite clear no old age the body's going to get old but it's not going to be us we want to get to the platform of Brahman, we're going to have to be able to deal with that because it's going to come to all of us. And if at the time of death we're thinking we're this body and we're not willing to let it go, it's going to be a very difficult time. It's not going to go easily for us if we are under that misconception. So, Atma, Atma, understanding of Atma, we have to be above that. No hunger, no thirst. The body may be hungry, you have to feed it, it may be thirsty, you have to give it water, but it has nothing to do with our true existence. It's just the circumstances of material nature. No lamentation. When things, when the environment, when the mode of goodness, passion, or ignorance is there, remain neutral. And when the modes of material nature are not there, when you're in a tranquil state of spiritual contemplation, don't be influenced. Be neutral. Understand your true spiritual position is above this. Mm. Full truthfulness and all our desires are fulfilled. Wow. All your desires are fulfilled. We'll end on that. But what's that mean? All our desires are fulfilled. All our desires are fulfilled. Well, that's so we don't hanker for anything. Satisfied. Mm, but we have spiritual desire. That's true. Yes. That is the true essence of this Krishna consciousness movement of Bhakti Yogena. If and when, as soon as, not if and when, as I said, this is attainable. We can all do this, it's not difficult. What do we do? We chant Hare Krishna. We associate together. We discuss Bhagavad Gita. We hear from people with knowledge. We repeat what we hear. We encourage others. We take Krishna prasadam. We worship the deity. Simple programs. 
we refrain from those activities that are really going to be, quote, quote, under the misconception. We call them sin, but it's just a misconception. It's a misconception that I can take in someone, other's, someone else's existence for my enjoyment. It's a misconception that everything is about pleasing this body. I can intoxicate it. I can give it all the sex at once and that will please it. That'll please me. It's not going to do it. It's just going to continue to bind us in this world. Misconception. We have a true spiritual existence. And once we can give off these misconceptions, once we can rise above the influence of the modes of material nature, then we that spiritual existence, which is our true self, will open up. Our heart will open up. We will understand who we really are in relationship to the Supreme. We will rise above Brahman. We will rise above Paramatma. And we will come to an appreciation of Bhagavan Sri Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And our heart will flower in a loving relationship with that Supreme Personality. That is the object. object the objective of the practice of bhakti yogena. I'll stop there. Any questions? Comments? Corrections? You're all convinced? <laughs> hmm? Yes, sir. Uh, <clears throat> question I hope oh, maybe not uh, the, you mentioned you quoted the verse which was saying about uh, how concerning the mind the urges of the senses you know yeah. the mind belly tongue genitals anger um, but we see transcendentalists who they are well known for for being like very upset getting very easily upset like Durvasamuni mm-hmm. uh, even Lord Shiva who is very Exalted personality is is also known as Ashutosh, who is you can please him very nice, very easily, and you can make him upset very easily. Mm-hmm. So can you just like put a little bit light on this contradiction? Sure. Mm-hmm. First, let's talk about Durvas Muni. What is the position of Durvas Muni? We won't go into the full pastime. He was not. He of course he was a great sage and a great mystic yogi. He had all those cities we talked about earlier. He had them to such an extent he could travel throughout the whole universe. Oh, so much power. But he was not a bhakti yogi. He became a bhakti yogi. But at that time, when he became angry, he was not on that platform. Yes? How can he enter the spiritual? How can he leave the material shell and enter into the spiritual realm if he was not? Um, yeah. There's some special, some special mercy there for this Leela. Krishna, Krishna can make some arrangements whenever his pure devotee is involved. In this particular Leela, Krishna's pure devotee was involved, and. Uh, and therefore, Durvas Muni actually became purified by this Leela to the point in being chastised by the Lord. And I won't go into the Leela. We would be here another considerable amount of time. I'll discuss it and, and give it to you next week if you want. But he was chased by Krishna's Sudarshan Chakra. And in that chasing and chastisement, he did become purified. And in that purification, he was, allowed, he was allowed entrance into the spiritual world, at which time he surrendered to the Lord and begged, please protect me. And Krishna said, I can't protect you. You've offended my devotee. If you want protection, you have to go back to the devotee and ask his forgiveness. So he was purified at the time he entered the spiritual world. So how did he become angry? Well, at the time he became angry, he wasn't fully on the transcendental platform. 
Lord Shiva, of course, works within the material world and he's in charge of the mode of ignorance. In his capacity as that demigod in charge of the mode of ignorance, he's not working in his capacity as Krishna's pure unalloyed devotee. He's working in the capacity of, of controlling the mode of ignorance. So we'll see that display of, of anger on his part uh, in order to do his service properly. When we see that Krishna's pure devotee becomes angry, and Krishna's pure devotee does become angry, Krishna becomes angry. Lord Nisringadev, Sri Shaitanya Mahaprabhu after Lord Dichinanda was attacked. And devotees, they also become angry. They become angry because pure devotional service is being interfered with. They become angry because when Krishna's condition, he becomes angry when his pure devotees are mistreated by those foolish people who are under misconceptions within the material world. So you may see anger in devotees and in pure devotees. You'll see that if you analyze that anger in their character, there is always some impediment to pure devotional service that is upsetting them. And they, they become angry and anxious to rectify it. Yes? So why is it that it said that Shiva is the highest devotee? Yeah. Yes, he is. But he also has material responsibilities. And what to speak of Arjuna? Arjuna's a pure devotee. Is there any way that you can fight with unless you're angry and do a good job of it? He had to be angry on the battlefield of Kurukshetra after receiving instruction from Krishna in order to do his duty. Shiva also has his duty. But his duty is what? His duty is service to Krishna. So if he's using his anger in service to Krishna, then it's not material anger. It becomes transcendental. It's on the spiritual platform. So in relation to Lord Shiva, does that answer your question? Mm -hmm. If it's in service, it's, it's acceptable. Mm -hmm. You have a question? It just got me thinking about how we talk a lot about transcending the modes of material nature, but isn't it ultimately bottom line by Krishna's mercy? That we attain the spiritual world. Mm -hmm. Bottom line. <laughs> but above that bottom line, there's another bottom line. Yes, sir. Um, <clears throat> to give the example of uh, how important it is to be able to recognize someone's, you know, if someone is above the modes of material nature or not. I just, uh, in my mind, uh, I remember the, the, the story which Sachinanda Maharaj did traveling in India with you know, two, two devotees and they came to the place where um, there was very very famous yogi was, I mean, he was very well known for being not attached to anything so just like completely detachment he was, this was his like uh, how to say you know, the, the mark uh, the, he was completely detached from anything and, and you know, didn't care one thing or other thing to the point that people were coming, he was sitting in his, you know, in his place, in some cottage or whatever. He was sitting and meditating, and people were coming and just throwing money on him. So when uh, when Sachinada Maharaj came with, with his when the Brahmacharis were traveling with him, they sat here and you know they just looked. You know there is this sadhu sitting on his seat and this whole bunch of money just lying around him all over the place, and he just sits and meditates. So you know they, they just sat on the on the side and just were you know just meditating and just like waiting there. So the, this this yogi one moment he needed to go answer the call of nature. So when he left his his sitting place, Sachinanda Maharaj said to this Brahmachari sit in his place. <laughs> and the Brahmachari was like bewildered. What, what do you want to do? Sit in his place. So you know the Brahmachari. Said on his on his asana, and then when the, when the yogi come back, he got so furious. You know, he got so like, <laughs> and, and, and Sanchinanda Maharaj said, 
it was obvious that he was so attached to, to mm. sitting place, yeah. you know, to his hand and organization, mm. that he, he was not able to handle it. Mm. He wasn't happy anymore. Of course, the poor Brahmachari could have been, who knows, <laughs> burned with the guy. I understand. Is to know the yeah. symptoms, very yeah. symptoms of the of the qualified person, to be able, how to say, get proper knowledge uh, from proper source, not to get bewildered. That's why we have a, a checks and balance system in this bhakti yogena. Thank you so very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.